0: This is the India Migration Now Extra. Welcome listeners to another episode of India Migration Now Extra. While democracy is in retreat world over, it is thriving more than ever before in India. The universal adult franchise, that is the ability of each and every eligible Indian citizen to vote in elections and have a say in choosing their government, is one of the key pillars of Indian society. But despite these achievements, India has systematically disenfranchised an increasing proportion of its population from elections, migrants. Both internal migrants and international migrants from India have the right to vote. So the issue is not of rights and legality. Over the course of the last two months, during the election season and in the build-up to the election season, we have spoken to experts, bureaucrats, and migrants both in India and abroad to understand their experience and expectations of elections in India. One of the apex conversations we had was with Dr. Ashwini Kumar, who is a professor at the School of Development Studies in TIS, Mumbai. He's written many key and highly cited reports for the Election Commission of India on migrant voting and welfare. In today's episode, we have an uncut, full-length version of this conversation with Dr. Ashwini Kumar, in which we discuss issues of migrant voting, both practically and ethically, and more importantly, the importance of voting in general, especially on welfare outcomes and democratic outcomes. I particularly enjoyed this conversation it was extremely instructive i hope you do too welcome to our podcast dr kumar thank you so much for your time uh, thank you varun thank you very much dr kumar can you can you tell us and the listeners about your research and especially uh, in relation to elections and political participation
1: varun that's a very interesting uh, uh, question because i work in multiple directions and uh, my current work also relates to last mile welfare in the country. I'm putting together a book uh, on welfare politics. Uh, I'm also working on my new edited book uh, on migration and mobility, issues of citizenship. And also I'm recipient of Ajim Premji grant on, on criminal politicians located right. in the state of Bihar, which is kind of a sequel to my earlier work, Community Warriors. So currently and also as you know uh, i work closely with election commission of india yes so we have just finished uh, a major work uh, with election commission on cost of elections rising cost of elections in india and we have undertaken field work in gujarat two assembly constituencies report has been submitted to election commission of india right. and because of the national elections they have not released the report um, I'm sure that after elections are over, they would release the report and discuss the implications of rising cost of Indian elections.
0: If you are from a multi-locational household, where your economic input is coming from, your benefits are coming from two different uh, states, for instance, or two different countries, how does political participation, where does the ethic of political participation come into play in this context?
1: Phil, let me let me just go back to uh, you know the migrant you know and and the nature of the migrant and especially I would like to focus on internal migrant right sure, sure. if you look at our work uh, titled Inclusive Elections in India
0: mm-hmm.
1: study on domestic migration and issues and electoral participation that we conducted for Election Commission of yeah? India yes I think I think in that report we highlighted we highlighted that the migrants. Uh, you know, migrants are, uh, you know, a bigger sense, you know, bigger sense uh, for our economic development and economic performance, perhaps good governance. So let's look at migrant from a positive point of view rather than negative point of view. Because if you look at the standard literature, sociological literature or political literature, migrants have often viewed with a certain kind of hostility you know, certain kind of, you know, marginality as if, you know, they make no sense to general polity or general governance. I hope we agree with this.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So what I would like to suggest here, looking at, uh, suppose somebody, you know, I've traveled widely in connection with the field works and micro studies throughout the country. So if somebody, you know, migrating, for instance, you know, Assam plantation from Jharkhand, Bihar or Odisha.
0: Yes.
1: And when you, you are there, you know, what happens is that uh, you have two houses. One, you know, if you go back, uh, you have your own permanent residency from the village, uh, where, from where you have migrated and to your, you know, destination. So in the source place, you have a house and then in the destination place, you have a house. Right. 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 But you know, Varun, we need to make sure that actually, when we talk about such migrants, we are talking about not permanent migrants, but temporary migrants.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Or semi-permanent, as they refer in the literature. Or
1: semi-permanent, uh, or seasonal migrants, uh, or cyclical you know, migrants. If you go through my report, you will find that we mm. have classified migrants. Uh, you know, we are looking at different categories of migrant, uh, Correct. permanent migrant, uh, so if you look at the data that I provided, uh, based on you know NSSO, you know the 2000. Uh, I guess you know we used 11, 12, right? And also 2007, 8 data. And yes. in the report we relied on 2001 survey because when I was finishing up the report uh, in 2015. The D data was not available from 2011 census. Of course. But even if you you include the the new election, uh, new census, uh, which calculates that internal migrants are about, uh, say, 421 million. But what they say and confirm our report and our findings, that 91% of internal migrants are actually permanent uh, migrants. Right so actually when you look at uh, we are only talking about 9% of the people in terms of their electoral participation right 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 so 9% of the people uh, refers uh, to you know uh, cyclical migrants seasonal migrants, temporary migrants, etc etc so when you look at uh, their structure of participation then you will find that it is where You know what we call disenfranchisement is happening in inequality. Yes. So if you remember when the Times of India contacted me when they launched this uh, missing voter campaign, absolutely lost voter campaign, you know, uh, they contacted me and they wanted my report to be analyzed thoroughly Mm -hmm. uh, because they claim that 281 million registered voters did not vote in 2014 elections, right? Yes. Out of the census, you know, 400 plus millions. So, what we suggest that uh, maybe it's a laudable and certainly a laudable work that Times of India has initiated. Yes. But there is a problem with their data and, and the way they, they analyze the implication of lost voters, right, or missing voters, right. Because they're not focusing on, you know, these, uh, uh, you know, they, what they do, that they, they club together. Permanent migrants and temporary, seasonal or cyclical
0: migrants. Add on the data question, yeah. and I, I want to focus again on the census. Yeah. And it's interesting that um, that you focus a lot on the permanent, semi-permanent thing, which I think is, is, is correct. as That is the way analysis should start. But at the same time, we know the census, for instance, misses out on a lot of the short term migration, a lot yeah. of the cyclical and seasonal migration. Are not captured just by the how just by how a migrant or a usual place of residence is defined in the census. and and the NSS was supposed to fill that gap with their 07 survey on short-term migration yeah. the module they had there. I'm just wondering if there's a way to reconcile this tension and, and then address the, the the times of India figures.
1: Uh, let, let me you know. Uh as 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 uh, you know somebody who has looked at the data very closely yes because see that we did first internal migrants and we also varun uh, did for external migrants you know like okay. indian overseas electors for election right. commission right right uh, i think you need to access that report from election commission of india that's available there sure also the portal is available so in fact you know the the, the big news and Perhaps you know a little bit uh, on the disappointing note that the way the census had been designed, we don't think that uh, we will get uh, more specialized and accurate and genuine information about the type of types of migrants we are talking about.
0: Right, right.
1: So if you look at you know uh, NSSO particularly, they have only one question in their survey, right, and the sur- and the question is based on. Their place of residence, right? Correct. So, if you are not in that place of residence, say for uh, less than six months, uh, you are not part of the survey, right? Yes. I'm pointing out the deficiency. And if you are a cyclical, if you look at uh, Pulumuru, uh, famous uh, migrant community from Andhra Pradesh, uh, who are known for their hard work in Mumbai on the street, uh, right? Work, street work, uh, right? Uh, and they work uh, with the buildings, uh, constructions work, they are out of this survey because they are here for six months. They go back to their source. So they're not included in NSO data. Right. And same happens with, you know, census. It's a door-to-door survey. And that survey does not include what election commissions also points out that you can be where you are as an ordinary resident. You can become a voter. The big reason uh, for deciding who is going to be a voter, uh, according to Election Commission, is that whether or not you sleep there, like right. you spend your night there, right? This kind of micro detailed data mm-hmm. is rather impossible from census,
0: yes, because they
1: are not designed in a way. Let me tell you, yes. when we started looking at uh, since 2015, the whole question of migrant to Varun, we found out there is a systematic unintentional bias in terms of the last surveys done by census or NSSO. Migrants never figured in their political and statistical imagination.
0: That's correct, yes.
1: Varun, well, I think that's the, that's very sad news for, you know, statistician and economist and, and also population, and population experts and the migration scholars.
0: Absolutely, sir.
1: So what we did, Varun, uh, we carried out uh, our own research and then you know, based on micro studies, we suggested to election commission of India that let's go out and do a specialized uh, national survey, keeping in mind different types of migrants. Okay. That's very important. So mm-hmm. my own sense is that census is not a reliable place to speak about uh, the relationship between political participation and migrants.
0: I would like to take a step back, because I right know, I think we're getting into like the, the crux of the issue in terms of implementation, identification, the how, if you might say. But I want to take a step back and think even a bit more ethically, a bit more at a principle level, yeah. just for the listeners' purposes. Tell me. And, and the question that I have, and let's just a very simple, blunt question. Should migrants have the right to vote and stand in elections, so the full spectrum of political participation, in their destination states or countries,
1: I think the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Varun, uh, I think uh, uh, this is like uh, a series of works that we have carried out, uh, and let me you, let me point out the bias, political right. bias. Please. When we were uh, you know asked to do a survey for NRI, you know, engaging Indian overseas electors, and if <laughs> remember that uh, last year. A bill was presented before Lok Sabha, for for making, uh, you know, identifying non-resident Indians and giving them proxy voting for participating in Indian elections.
0: Correct.
1: And the figure that we estimated for NRI compared to internal migrants is very small Varun, 10 million, between 10 and 18 million. Yes.
0: Yes. This
1: is still not reliable, you know, through secondary sources we computed, that seems like uh, 10 million to 18 million, you know, globally, you yes. know, non-resident Indians. Very quickly, you know, Government India proceeded, Election Commission proceeded, based on our analysis and the report that we presented to them and presented this bill before Lok Sabha. Lok Sabha has passed the bill, but it's still pending in Rajya Sabha. Right. So what I'm trying to point out because NRI is a very influential political constituency, right? Yes, yes. yes. They are vocal compared to internal migrants, right? Yes. They, they are very visible compared to internal migrant, especially poor, cyclical, temporary, seasonal migrants, right? They're hard-working people. And and poor people they are absent you know they are invisible right and that is where uh, we coined the term and the phrase uh, that invisible disenfranchisement of yes. poor in India
0: right right
1: so you, so for me it's both a political question and also uh, also a ethical question that why does it happen right. and when we look at uh, different sources of the data we find out. Uh, that even at the policy level, there is a systematic bias for, you know, urban, say urban migrants, especially, you know, uh, living in the you know, rich neighborhood, etc. Cetera, et cetera, Right. And more so, external migrants, uh, non-resident Indians. Right. Not for, not for Maroon, internal migrants, uh, and especially poor migrants. So I would say... Uh, that uh, this is very, very embedded uh, into the way that we have conceptualized uh, migrants in the Constitution. And let me point out uh, a serious paradox in the Constitution. Please. You know, Parun, that uh, right to vote is not a fundamental right. No. For the last several years, we have been struggling at Charter Institute of Social Sciences to talk about uh, rights-based voting and participation in elections. Okay, and that's, that, and that that issue has, you know, gained some traction since 2014 because right to vote or right to electoral registration is a statutory right. Right, you yeah. get it. Because yes, that you get from the parliament. You know, yes. that you get from you know uh, People's Representation Act 1951-52.
0: That's a very important point. Yes, I agree.
1: Yeah. yeah. So what what's happening here? That your electoral registration, I'm coming back to electoral registration because that's at the heart of the migrants' life mm-hmm. and political participation in right. elections, right. right? Because unless until you are registered, mm-hmm. unless until you're recognized, you cannot become a voter, right? To rule, absolutely. In the form six, yes, in the form six, yes, of ECI. Mm-hmm. And what is happening here, that is not a fundamental right. That's a statutory and at the most constitutional right. Right. Article 324, Article 325, and specifically Article 326 elaborates that you have right to vote as a constitutional right because of universal adult franchise and suffrage.
0: Yes.
1: But when we look at you know uh, you know 14, 19, and 21, we don't find that uh, you know, right to vote is conceptual. I see. Right, I work. I have worked on NRG extensively. Worked on right to food, right mm-hmm. to employment. But right. somehow there is a deeper paradox here, Varun. Right. That migrants uh, face continuous obstacles and challenges because they cannot exercise right to vote as fundamental right. That's a serious lacuna. The way we have conceptualized the relationship between migrants' right to vote and the constitution.
0: I mean, I'm glad this is, this is a great point. And, and this actually links really well to the question I wanted to ask you because some studies and I, prominent, most prominently is this study done by Ajivika. And, and no, they, yeah. they, they looked at the high rate of, they, what they think, what they saw in the study, the survey that they did was there was a high rate of migrant participation in their home panchayat elections um, compared to state level and Lok Sabha elections. So do you think yeah. state level... Election commissions, who 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 sort of are in charge of the panchayat and municipal elections, should they be taking the lead in including migrants in the electoral process?
1: I think you know we we have also cited uh, uh, we have also cited this uh, Rajivka study and we have also looked at other micro studies. In fact, uh, right. if you look at uh, micro studies on registration for migrants in Delhi you will find that uh, many migrants are missing from the electoral roll in delhi
0: right right
1: so 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 i think you are absolutely right uh, as micro studies point out and reveal rather that uh, migrants are more involved in their panchayat elections you know because of the decentralization again this is a paradox if you look at decentralization which has empowered migrants at panchayat level has also disempowered them in the national and state elections. That's a key question, I think, for policymakers. Why does it happen? Because uh, I've seen many migrants have informed us uh, when we conducted a studies on them that, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm here in Mumbai. So if you are in the other Parel and Shivri area where a lot of, you know, uh, UP and Bihar people work uh, and they return to their home constituencies, Preferably in panchayat elections, not in state elections or national elections. So that's a that's a, that's a very interesting point. So I think uh, uh, you, there is a, there is also something that I need to point out uh, in our podcast discussion mm-hmm. that not many people are aware that uh, post emergency, you know, emergency 70, 70, 75, 76, 77 If you right. look at after lifting of emergency. Mm-hmm. In 1979, the government of India advised the states and the state governments to form and make this law: the Contract Labour and the Interstate infamous. Migrant Workman
0: yes. Regulation
1: of Employment and Condition of Service Act,
0: 1979. The infamous
1: at this infamous point. Famous one, infamous. And I have gone through, you know, and in fact, uh, with the help of the Election Commission, we compiled, uh, you know, the list. Uh, from all states, right? right? right, And can you imagine from Haryana, we got the figure that in one particular year, only 60 or 70 registration. Can you imagine? Yeah,
0: no, it just hasn't worked.
1: It not worked. So what I would suggest here agreeing with you that, you know, a state election commission needs to play a more proactive role. Okay. Along with effective implementation and resurrection of this 1979, the Interstate Migrant Workman Act.
0: I see. I see. That's
1: very important. And again, you know, we have to take it to the last mile, as we have been talking about the last mile welfare and right. the last mile, I would call it last mile political participation. Okay. I would come back to that. Uh, yeah. Towards the end about uh, the architecture of, you know, election participation in India. Right. So right. the last mile is the weakest you know, link in our structure and architecture of electoral management in India. So for Panchayat, you have now Panchayat Commission, right? Yes.
0: Ele-
1: election Commission for panchayats. But what happens in the state capitals, that there is no synergy or coordination between State Election Commission and Panchayat Election Commission. So they work in silos.
0: Oh, is that true? Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you have to just travel and meet and find out, you know, uh, we have done studies on Mukhiyas, Sarpanches, and when we come back to a state election office, they have no idea about their Mukhiyas and Sarpanches. You know, they're absolutely clueless.
0: So, this is very interesting because, in this rele- with this revelation that you just you know, brought forward, it seems like the panchayat participation, the panchayat level participation of migrants, is completely self and community driven. It's, it has no institutional impetus behind it.
1: No, absolutely right, and 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 the reason is that the community community and as I pointed out earlier, because part of the reason is the success and also deficit of Indian elections. By and large, when you go down the ladder of Indian elections, panchayat elections are more prone, prone towards or more biased towards ethnic politics. Right, right, right. okay. It's, it's more about, you know, which caste, which community you belong to. So if you belong to domestic, you know, dominant caste, uh, you know, effectively, then uh, your service delivery improves, your governance improves. So this is positive. I, I call it positive negative syndrome. Okay. I, so negative in the sense that when you go up and if you look at, uh, you know, national election survey data from csts right, the pocket would. Pocket book, book voting matters in national elections. The GDP matters in national elections. Mm-hmm. Growth rate matters in national elections. Economic performance matters in national elections. But okay. not at the panchayat elections. The panchayat elections does matter. What matters in panchayat elections? Certainly, roti, kapra, makan, bisli, pani. These things matter. You know, pension matters. Narega implementation matters. But but if you belong to a certain community and ethnicity, mm-hmm. it makes more sense.
0: Where do state elections fit in this? And I'll give an example, because now you have districts in, in different parts of India, which are dominated by migrants, migrant households. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I cite the work done by Tumbe on the feminization of Indian agriculture, you know, where you have women dominated rural areas because all the men have left. And yeah. I've seen that in person. And I'm pretty sure you have in the fieldwork. Yeah. And I'm just wondering: Does this not sort of these districts must be for the candidates who stand in state elections, and even for the MPs, because the scale of migration in some districts is so large? Mm. Yeah. But they must be worried about you know. They must be interested in getting these migrants to vote.
1: I, I tell you interesting stories. Uh,
0: uh,
1: uh, we have covered this as assembly elections and national elections. So, uh, and again, I'm I'm raising a last theoretical issue in my. Forthcoming book uh, Migration and Mobility and Citizenship Rights, uh, where we are testing Myron Venus thesis, Sons of the Soil thesis. Yes, yes. Seems in Bombay it still has some, some sense, but not very effective uh, anymore. Not very effective. But when you travel down the south, there is a migration corridor, you know, Bihar, Bengal, Odisha. Yes. If you look at that migration corridor, you will find the best plumbers uh, in Kerala or in Mumbai come from Odisha, right?
0: Right, absolutely.
1: So, what we have hypothesized and looked at wherever there is large construction or mega infrastructural projects are going on in the districts, for instance, in Kerala, in Tamil Nadu, and and Andhra Pradesh, you will find, uh, you know, large settlements, large settlements of cyclical migrants and temporary migrants from this corridor, you know, Bihar Bengal Lodisha corridor. Right? Right. And what has happened in elections, interestingly, uh, in, in Tamil Nadu also, I witnessed myself, that in the, in, the, in, the, in the coastal area, in the textile zones, where many laborers are from this migrant corridor, politicians are trying to, trying to appeal to them in their native language. They are distributing leaflets in Hindi, Uriya, and Bangla. Can you imagine? Oh, wow. So I tell, I, I, I'm I going to tell you uh, what I call the virtual cycle of, you know, electoral participation in the southern parts of India. And that is where Myron and Venus' classic thesis that Sons of the soil means that there will be more conflict and more conflict in terms of the riots or the violence. I think South presents an entirely different, uh, you know, picture where yes. the migrants, uh, rather than leading to like uh, any sort of riots or conflict, uh, they are positively, they're seen positively as economic assets.
0: Can these migrants vote in these destination districts?
1: Some of them, uh, you know, local politicians, you know, uh, they have worked hard. Uh, there are some migrants who have been there. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, I met this distinction that 91% people are permanent migrant. Sure. 9%, you know. So my estimate uh, it's a little conservative, Baron. I look at only 50 million to 60 million people who are not voting in terms of the migrants, internal migrants.
0: But Dr. Kumar, I mean, again, I, I focus, I mean, if you look at national level, I agree with you with that estimate, it doesn't seem, you know, it's, it's only in India, we can say it doesn't seem like a large number, but, <laughs> but, but Barun, mean,
1: can you, can you imagine just, you know, I'm interjecting 454 million Indians classified as migrants yes, yes. in the last census and they are not voting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And my point is, but this problem, I mean, it's a large number anyways, but this problem becomes even a, more acute when we go within some states yeah. Both from a destination perspective and from a source state perspective. And, and I'm just, what I'm trying to understand, and now I'm going to transition more to the implementation and this is where the cost selection work that you've done and last mile delivery work, work that you cited comes into play is from an implementation perspective. It's like most migrants, and we've been doing a lot of work on informal housing. Most migrants live in informal housing. They don't have a formal address proof in their destination, which is a, a big barrier to their registration in the, electoral, in the destination electoral constituency. So A, how do we sort of deal with this issue? And, and, and then how does that connect into the local politicians wooing them? So I'll start with this, and I'll, I'll ask the source question after this answer.
1: You, Barun, um, uh, let me let me join this debate with you. Uh, I think the, what has happened, that when we look at and discuss voting rights or political participation you know, of migrants, we actually look at uh, more in terms of disconnected parts, you know, right? For us, you know, that's why I started out uh, suggesting that look, you know, I work on welfare, I also work on voters. So when I work on migrants and especially internal migrants, I would like to say that both need to be connected, the voting rights and welfare rights. I'm I'm trying to make a big point for policymakers because what policymakers does and election commission is uh, I think limited by its constitutional uh, positioning because article 344, 25, 26 uh, give them only power to conduct the elections right organize the elections that means that means you know their, their task is limited only to enrollment and registration and making sure that these people vote right but what's missing here is the welfare rights of the migrants you know those who are in the slums
0: mm-hmm.
1: those, those who are on the plantation you know those who are bricklin workers you know yes. i have visited in Tempura and i have gone through the plight of these workers there, they are absolutely invisible and exploited yes. the most.
0: Of course.
1: And this is where we documented that there, there are signs of emergence of new sardam, right, in these corners of the country because right. they, have, they don't have welfare rights. They don't have, you know, um, Aadhaar also. So what is happening? Uh, uh, even the PDS, they don't receive. Yes. They don't have any pension benefits.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So I'm talking about uh, uh, a a kind of a synergy between welfare rights of migrants and voting rights of the migrants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So once we realize that there is a connection between voting rights and welfare rights, then only we can talk about, as we have pointed out in our report for the election commission, what we suggested that let's let's think about uh, uh, an architecture of portability. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. It means that... uh, Aadhar or voter ID need to be merged uh, to provide portability of voting rights and welfare rights. Right. So wherever both are connected, uh, so the migrants uh, also also leverage uh, pension benefits. Uh, they also leverage uh, PDS benefits uh, in the slums where they are put together mm-hmm. and they are huddled together. So that's a very important uh, thing that we need to recognize. During elections, if you look at Times of India's wonderful and laudable campaign, lost votes or right. migrant voters, lost yes. migrant voters, they don't even refer to once. I think they have cited my report. I'm very thankful and grateful to Times of India because they cited my recommendations. But they, they don't highlight that, the connection between voting rights and welfare rights.
0: Right, right, right.
1: And partly the reason because as you referred to, a state level Politicians and bureaucrats are perhaps biased or maybe indifferent to this connection between voting rights and welfare.
0: I suppose their interest will be in voting rights and, and what gets them into power.
1: Yeah. When we go to Dharavi, I think when you go Dharavi and uh, I think Tariq Thatchel recently, you know, uh, who, who is at uh, Vanderbilt University and okay. has done some Kozai experimental works on migrants in the slums. Okay. And we found out from his studies and also Bhavnani's work, we found out, Lasina and Bhavnani's work, we found out that in the slums, there seems to be a structure of, you know, a political structure of competition well laid out now. So politicians consider these migrants as uh, potentially voters, right? Potentially voters. Okay. Yeah, potentially voters. So they care about them in terms of their electoral registration, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. But again, you know, one of the reports that we looked at from CSTS and where Sanjay Kumar, you know, looked at uh, the question that why South Mumbai, if you remember 2014 elections, national elections, uh, reported the lowest turnout. I'm raising this question. Because when you connect migrants to turnout, there is a very important uh, issue that we miss out most of the time. That in in South Mumbai constituency, the turnout was the lowest in the country. Well, so, what was the reason uh, that people offered? You know, analysts uh, on television, not on the podcast, because in the podcast we seem to be more sensitive and you know perhaps sounding more sensible. Uh, they they simply you know covered this phenomena under you know, middle-class and rich voters' apathy, right?
0: Right, absolutely.
1: What we did, uh, we did a small micro-study in the slums and found out that there was a problem of electoral registration. So the turnout, uh, the low turnout in urban India can be attributed to the low participation of internal migrants and especially seasonal and uh, uh, cyclical migrants. That's a very important point. That's a powerful point. Yeah. And politicians must recognize that rather than blaming all the time, you know, middle-class apathy or rich apathy, they need to focus more on active registration and participation of migrants.
0: So on that front, are there lessons from other countries? And I'm talking about other large federal countries, uh, like the U.S., where you can vote. I know from first-time experience, you can vote in the U.S., um, through your uh, through absentee ballots and 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 by vote by mail. Even in India, Kashmiri migrants have the facility of voting uh, by, uh, yeah. we, by yeah. post. So I'm just wondering, what are the other options? Are there technological options with, uh, and and what would be criteria for picking an option to fix this problem? That, uh,
1: I, I must say, I must share my experience, you know you can laugh it out. Uh, my jugan experience in Oklahoma when I was in the u s. doing my graduate study, okay. I've left Americans into believing that I'm like, you know, here registered, you know, voter. Right. I I was not a voter at all. I was a graduate student and I participated in campaign. Right. American campaign. So when door to door, uh, you know, because you know that in America, in America, the interesting thing compared to the Indian system that the states have been given right, uh, you know, uh, yes. To design their electoral rules, electoral systems, uh, participation, true. registration, and everything. Yes. So this is this uh, this is missing here in India. So what what it happens if you look at uh, as you rightly pointed out in the U.S. and I think we recommend it to the Election Commission um, in terms of our policy suggestions uh, that uh, most if you look at U.S. system uh, states uh, and different you know. Uh, uh, 50 states plus Washington, and they, they allow early voting, right? Right. Or yes. absentee ballot. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking about early voting, you know, e-balloting or absentee balloting. And we have been writing about it. But for some reason, you know, where there is again a you know a gray area that whatever we do and whatever studies we carry out for election commission it cannot be implemented unless until political parties agree to that.
0: Right. right.
1: That's the constitutional requirement, you know. So somehow political parties are not willing to accept e-balloting, absenting balloting. Let's like say in 14 states of US, they exercise absentee ballot. Yes. And uh, in many states, they have, uh, you know, early, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, if I could remember it well, 33 U.S. states and District of Columbia exercise early voting. Yes. And 22 states require voters to provide an excuse for voting by absentee ballot. Yeah. So I think, you know, we need to learn from global experiences. And I can cite you, you know, UK and Northern Ireland. Okay. You see, uh, Varun, interestingly, people don't talk about the role of migrants uh, in London, you know, the greater London. In some constituencies, and I don't remember, but in two constituencies, migrants have become majority in England. Can you imagine?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's just the state of (laughs) of those countries, especially. Yeah,
1: Yeah. they're melting pot. Yes. And and in the UK, you can apply for a postal vote ballot.
0: Yes, and and exactly, actually, maybe ask the question, because this is a big question and a big sort of talking point for us as researchers in India migration now, which is, I know the, the committee, Whose recommendations were used, to, you know, finalise the bill, which was now waiting in the Rajya Sabha. No, no, I,
1: I think originally we conducted this study. We well, conducted
0: this study. Well, sir, but then you gave you you all gave four or five options.
1: Yeah, we gave five. Yeah, uh, but, but they very rightly said, and you know, I must confess here, must confess on record, on record, you know, please, please, that uh, I had some, you know, qualms about uh, proxy voting. Because I work with very young people, very bright, uh, test people. Right. <laughs> always after my life, and, and and they made me to think about uh, you know two way e ballot, two way e ballot. You know, see, so you send a ballot uh, to NRI, they will fill it out and send you back, and then we also recommended one way ballot. If two way ballot is problematic and poses security risk. But what has happened uh, that some other, uh, you know, report uh, suggested to election commission and the government accepted it, uh, you know, perhaps through their inter-ministerial coordination committee, Varun, and and suggested to the parliament that, look, you know, proxy voting. Because proxy voting, you remember, you know, some countries like Australia does proxy voting, right? Right. Right. UK also does proxy voting, but there there is a subliminal, you know, paradox here. If you accept proxy voting, you are actually making holes in the classical notion of secret Absolute. voting in democracy. J.S. Mill would be, you know, J. Mill would come into <laughs> yes. yes,
0: yeah.
1: For us, you know, uh, but but now here, uh, Baruna, I would mean, like to to conclude this part. Of our discussion, Mm -hmm. what has happened that uh, a lot of us uh, uh, now looking at the new architecture, you know, technology architecture, and uh, given the kind of safety features that we can develop, uh, Mm -hmm. there is a possibility that uh, you know two two way e-balloting, right, uh, or proxy voting can be improved upon.
0: Why can't they have multiple options, Dr. Kumar? I mean, that's what we were discussing internally. Why can't you have the option of voting in the embassy? plus e-balloting, plus if the spouse is there, maybe proxy voting, why, why does it have to be one option? Why didn't they pick the multiple options and give convenience, at least for the NRIs? All uh, the internal
1: point. migrants are also internal migrants.
0: I mean, and, and that's my follow-up question is, is if they do give proxy voting, even if Rajasabha passes proxy voting for international Indian migrants, emigrants, wouldn't they be obliged to do the same thing for internal interstate migrants?
1: so let's 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 you know uh, that's very fundamental question you know i think uh, if you create uh, you know a different css set of you know voting rights for nri yes and another set of rights for internal migrants uh, you are creating a constitutional distortion
0: absolutely this is a legal uh, problem. I,
1: yeah so i think if you look at my own uh, you know, chapter fifth, the way forward, uh, we suggested to election commission multiple options. And uh, we also suggested, uh, uh, if you look at uh, in our work uh, uh, for domestic migrant, uh, that let's learn from what you are trying to do for, you know, NRIs. In fact, the debate, you know, ironically on domestic migrant or internal migrant started out with a petition filed before Supreme Court by NRI, Shamshir Singh. Right. And Shamsia Singh as an ex an mentioned internal migrants or domestic migrants. Mm, Here see. is a problem. Here is a problem, you know, and that's a legal and definitional problem. Yes. Election Commission has failed, you know, despite the best efforts, you know, uh, I-, I think election commission has done wonderful work in the last 20, 30 years particularly. Sure. You know, if you look at 66.4% of turnout, it's largely because of election commission's efforts. Yes but election commission so far has not settled on a clear definition of internal migrant or who is a migrant that's a problem can,
0: can i point out one more paradox and this is yeah,
1: something we have see, discussed see, because see, see you don't have a passport no? you don't have a passport so when you have a passport and cross the national you know territory and you yeah. are elsewhere then you become then you become nri so there is a clear cut definition available yes, to us of course, of course. nri
0: I take your definitional point and I want to sort of park internal migration for a second. And -hmm. I just want to point out the ethical paradox here of us wanting to grant our migrants in other countries voting rights and look at the NRC issue. I want want to sort of juxtapose them together because, you know, a lot of the Indians who are abroad, uh, NRIs, can vote in their destination countries. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, we are reluctant to give the same rights to immigrants or forced migrants coming into India. The NRC issue being the primary example of this. And I'm just wondering, is that something worth unpacking? And just a short—I don't want to derail the whole conversation. We had a fantastic discussion, but I just wanted to point this out too.
1: Yes, see, I think I think the, the, there are there are legal and constitutional challenges involved here. Uh, so what w- what will happen? You know, when you look at, uh, for instance, Rohingya. Uh, So, Rohingya is a refugee, not a migrant. So, uh, we go back to United Nations' uh, definitions of refugee. Now you look at, you know, migrants also, a category that we haven't discussed uh, is, uh, you know, forced or displaced migrants, you know, out of large infrastructure projects. So those who become refugee, I don't think that election commission will agree to their voting right.
0: Even if they live for long term, like they have residency in India.
1: Yeah, so if if you, uh, for instance, you know, we need to find out because in, in Chennai, we have, you know, Tamil settlers, you know, yes. from Sri Lanka. And uh, we need to find out, uh, I have very limited information on them, but I I suggest that uh, they have secured you know welfare rights uh, and they have also secured registration local registration to participate uh, in the elections. So if that is true, why cannot uh, that kind of system be made available to others in the country? Right. That's the moot question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a pre- there's a precedent here.
1: Yeah. There's a precedent there, but the problem is that this will require a large scale tinkering. With the existing legal infrastructure and constitutional infrastructure dealing with uh, refugees and migrants. Mm. That's, that's a problem, you know. So, when you speak to election officials or ECI, ECI, uh, for instance, uh, and I'm going to raise another uh, very important issue for our discussion that. Uh, they have done wonderful work you know there is no doubt about it they have brought more transparency through disclosure etc cetera, etc cetera. isn't it yes please they have done wonderful work you know so this is the point where we can celebrate the role of election commission but now look at you know some of the issues that election commission have not been able to resolve or perhaps political parties or maybe has happened due to unintentional intention of the election commission of late we are talking about not just migrants but you know we haven't unpacked migrants you know because people you know from the gender point of view we haven't looked at migrant from the gender point of view so if you look at you know uh, uh, from from the perspective of physically challenged or disability right right or from the aging perspective or the gender perspective sure I think it becomes very very complex issue you know migrant internal migrant.
0: In terms of implementation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Varun, that's very important, you know, and also some of us, you know, the researchers who have been working, you know, they have also somehow avoided or not paid enough attention to, you know, gender dimension of internal migrant, B, or, you know, elderly aspect of migrants, mm-hmm. C, also children rights, you know, we haven't paid attention to them because children do not make any sense before election commission, right? Nice. Anyone under eighteen yeah. makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say that because of this, what has happened that women also migrate in large numbers with their households. And has recorded that you know uh, women, uh, you know, because of the marriage, and that's a problem with the census data. Yes. Census doesn't recognize that women also migrate for livelihood choices Absolutely. and livelihood opportunities. Yeah.
0: So,
1: and because of this you know uh, recently uh, people have started talking about missing women voters
0: yes that's correct yes so
1: if you just look at you know the data uh, that i uh, you know found out in discussion with uh, you know Pernod roy uh, what he has done in his new book he has looked at up mm-hmm. in up 2.1 million women are missing from the electoral rolls can you imagine so and in each constituency up If you look at 85,000 women are missing and one third of the UPCs have been decided by, say, about, uh, you know, less than 35,000 or 40,000 votes. (laughs) Imagine, you know, you work on migration and you just look at, you know, uh, what is this happening? You know,
0: uh,
1: is it because of, you know, inter-district migration, right? Yes,
0: yes, of course. In the
1: data, in the data, Varun, we do not capture inter-district migration, you know. We only capture interstate migration or external migration.
0: Can I just mention, and, and, and at that point, because now we're bringing in inter-district migration, suddenly the census figures become larger, the migrant figures become larger. moment we start discussing inter-district. Yeah. And, 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 and the fact that if Pranay Roy's I mean, his numbers, and he's done his research, Yeah. Um, if a lot of them are women migrants for work and marriage purposes, yes then this problem missing migrants is not just an inter or interstate or international but an in state issue also
1: yeah yeah true very true very true see if you look at two, 2011 census data and you look at election commission electoral registration data varun let's come to this point sure sure i just want to highlight your uh, question please so if you look at uh, you know the census data 451 million women you know 2011 census Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, ECI data, electoral resistance data, there are only four thirty million women. Right. So twenty one million women are missing right now yes. in two thousand nineteen election. Can, can you imagine from the migrant point of view? And now let me add, you know, another you know lens of uh, examining the migrant question and the religion question. Okay. So we found out uh, in places like Bihar and UP that some of these migrants uh, who are missing from the electoral roll are disproportionately from Muslim communities or religious communities.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: So there seems to be some kind of a bias, you know, ethnic and religious bias towards migrants.
0: I mean, I think at that point, it's worth worth mentioning. There was a few work done on this, and they said religious minorities from India are more likely to emigrate. And I wonder if there's a connection between that, because we see a high number of Muslim brain drain, we almost refer it to.
1: Yeah, but you know, the the fact is that, you know, we are in the middle of 2019 elections, and we are debating implications of, you know, inter-migrants and and voters as migrants. Yes, And here, if you look at, you know, 21 million women missing, Mm -hmm. this will have huge impact on our local turnout, A, B, and also about electoral outcomes. See also about you know gender discrimination, right? Also about religious discrimination, right? So I think yeah, we need to reconceptualize, reconceptualize. I think I, I am mean, again going back to the times of India's campaign, and yeah. I wish I wish they could reconceptualize migrants and their citizenship rights differently, a little differently
0: it it hasn't picked up that that campaign really hasn't had the impact they hoped so for, for an organization like times of india and it might be because of the reasons that you're highlighting
1: yeah, yeah. because you know there is there is a, there is a the, you know there is a conceptualization problem
0: yes yes i agree yeah as so, a migrant to begin with uh, starting off with <laughs>
1: yeah and also you know they are not looking at like you know we have, we are talking about proxy voting yes. absentee voting online voting postal ballots you know Lots of issues we are debating and and I think time has come, especially in this election, where election commission needs to, you know, go back to what I call last mile, last mile electoral connectivity. So what we call booth level electoral management Mm -hmm. is the weakest link in our architecture of electoral management in the country. So what it means, you know, where the discrimination happens more strongly, Varun against the migrant, booth level. And I don't want to call, you know, cite uh, and name anyone from the election commission, but I have, I've worked with them closely and what we found out, uh, and, and this is where uh, this is inclined to work on, uh, on a research study for, you know, the last mile electoral management, which right. is like, you know, booth level, hmm. right? So who manages booth, you know, who represents election commission in the booth local officers
0: Sure. Yes.
1: But that's not true. In some context, we found out that there is a lo- even the the, the the person who was managing the local boat, you know, as the lo- local boat, uh, you know, superintendent was belonging to a local political party. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. So they have no idea, you know, the, the people sitting in Delhi have no idea about uh, the bottom, you know, in the pyramid.
0: How pervasive is this problem, Doctor?
1: I think this, this is this is another study that Janagra. My colleagues at Janagra, you can find out from Janagra's study in Patna. Right. Uh, so they carry out uh, perhaps in Patna and Bangalore comparative analysis, uh, and this was like so revealing that we could believe it uh, that our bottom of electoral management uh, is so distorted; it's uh, completely unknown to us.
0: Imagine a scenario in which migrants could vote in India and their destinations. And, and, and keep in mind that we expect migration to increase, as especially regions of India reach middle-income status. Consistent with the global phenomena, we expect mobility and migration to increase. How do you think the political landscape in this country will change? And, and, I, I, and I, in that sense, I talk in terms of not just parties or, or communities, but also in terms of governance issues that you brought up in the, in the beginning.
1: I think Varun, I can I can say uh, very strongly, um, with uh, measured sense of prediction, mm-hmm. if that happens, I think the, the democratic upsurge that we have documented and celebrated, the nature of that you know democratic upsurge would radically change. Uh, yeah, the first point. Uh, okay. You know, the poor are voting more. Women are voting more. Yes. You know, Dalits are voting more like, you know, rural people are voting more. If migrants start voting, perhaps more proactively, I think the nature of democratic upsurge in India, which means the nature of contestation and participation will radically change in India for good. So what I what I call the the last phase of, you know, uh, Indian democracy, I think that is where the last mile democracy will take place in. Two, this will have enormous and huge implication for welfare governance, you know. India will perhaps become more programmatic Mm. welfare country, more programmatic welfare nation rather than clientelistic welfare country. If you just look at, you know, uh, correlate uh, migrants voting in national elections, you know, because what we have discovered from our studies on migrants, internal migrants, they go largely for welfare choices. They go for governance choices, governance preferences, Right. If they if they are pushed into you know electoral arena, I think we can we can certainly say that this implication will be seen all over. So that's my sense. I think uh, on a very positive note, and this will have a huge uh, you know uh, policy implication at different levels too, one, not just at elections level.
0: Dr. Kumar, I mean, I think we could talk all day. Uh, this is such a fascinating topic, and. I think the insights and complexity have brought to the issue, phenomenal. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us.
1: It's a privilege for me talking to you.